Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Bill Kerr. This episode is one of a series of special dispatches on the sweeping effect that COVID-19 is having on society, the economy, and the future of work. In addition to our regular podcast episodes, we'll be bringing you interviews with business leaders, policymakers, and leading scholars on the coronavirus. COVID-19 has triggered a virtual mass migration to video. Already ubiquitous before the pandemic, businesses and society have shifted even more of their communication, collaboration, and consumption to the medium. Brightcove supplies many of the elements of the video infrastructure from enterprise platforms to entertainment. How has the coronavirus changed the way businesses use video? What skills are in demand as a result, and what does that mean for our workforce development? I'm joined today by Brightcove CEO Jeff Ray. Prior to joining Brightcove in 2018, Jeff held executive positions in a number of software and professional service companies. He's going to talk with us about the effects COVID is having on the supply and demand sides of his business, the increasing popularity of virtual events, and also the long-run view of video as a core business tool. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. Jeff, obviously video is all around us, but the infrastructure and markets here are a bit complex. For listeners who are a bit less familiar with Brightcove, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about the company, its products, and some of the customers you serve? Sure. Brightcove is uh, all 100% video over the web uh, since its inception in the early 2000s. Back when video on the web uh, was five or six seconds of 10 frame per second videos that were very, very cloudy and hard to, to see, the, the founding team just had a very strong vision that, that video would be the primary content over the web. And in fact, it, it is far and away the largest uh, piece of content over the web and continues to grow. So that singular purpose put an awful lot of emphasis on building really what we call media quality video. The early adopters, of course, were big media companies and regional broadcasters, and they demanded broadcast-grade video technology. So from the, from the very beginning as a software company, we invested in a platform that would be highly secure, handle virtually anything that's thrown at it, scale very, very uh, large and, and, and broad, uh, and, and just provide for, for that really high-quality uh, experience that people just expect on broadcast. There's no surprise that demand for video services has been spiking during the pandemic. Can you break it down for a little bit uh, for us in terms of the patterns you're seeing in terms of what consumer and enterprise uses really have gone up over the, the last six months? Well, both are skyrocketing, of course. We publish something called the Global Video Index. Anyone can go to our website and download it every quarter. We tap into literally hundreds of sources around the, the world uh, and consolidate that and report on what we see. So for anyone who really wants to geek out on it, I suggest you go to the Global Video Index. Most recently, what we've reported is that year-to-date enterprises are seeing usage up by 132%. The biggest growth is in smartphones. Smartphone usage is up 216%. But content on the smartphones is also up. So in other words, if, if someone was watching one or two minutes of content before, that has doubled. And content time is up now 465% on smartphones. Computers tend to be the primary uh, viewing 
technology with about two thirds of the viewers uh, viewing content on, on computers, but smartphones are far and away the fastest growing and that's up to 32%. Okay, I know this is more of a, a, a backward looking report, but I wanna stay with my, my uh, listening geeks out there as you described it. Uh, would you be able to say anything about uh, education? And as we see schools starting to reopen, Will you expect a, a kind of a further surge in, in, in some of those categories compared to the summer months? Oh, education obviously is, you know, certainly has a, a target on it. Uh, and we're, we're seeing that in the news and, and we witness that also. Our, our technology is not targeted for education, but it is used extensively. Uh, and so we've certainly seen that usage go up too. I think the, the challenge Higher ed has always been pretty good at it. There have there have been great content providers and, and technology platforms for many years, and the higher ed institutions have done a nice job of, of pivoting to that. Uh, but the stress really is on uh, secondary public school, local schools, where the school districts simply don't have the infrastructure and the expertise, and they're struggling to keep up. Uh, the technology is there. Their ability to figure out how to use it is is really being challenged. Then there are those who are doing a great job. The uh, New South Wales in Australia uh, uses our technology to connect over 2,200 schools. Uh, they've been riding through this very, very well. They didn't anticipate it, but they had some real strong forethought into how best to use technology to get through this. I think, you know, what I'm most concerned about for schools is the, the, the fact that there is still a digital divide, that not everyone in this country has access to broadband. And we, I think, as, as a country need to address and confront that. Everybody should be able to access great video content from, from home. Yeah, we, we agree with you on that point about the digital divide and certainly some of the, the technological advances that you help uh, enable can reduce the, the requirements, even with the existing uh, infrastructure connections that people have. Uh, Jeff, let me pull you back from the schools, which are obviously very important and very uh, of this moment as we record in early September. But think more about just the, the more typical business that's out there. And they are looking to either adopt uh, video use for the first time or ramp up what's currently a pretty small sort of dependency on, on, on kind of the mechanism. Can you tell us like how you walk them through as, you know, what do you have to do to, to enable this process? And does this affect anything in terms of how you're managing this internally compared to other ways like a website that they may have um, been trying to reach out? Well, Bill, we, we really see this. The COVID crisis has brought about what we're calling video's evolutionary moment. There has been this natural growth and migration to video over the web because it is an ideal way for people to communicate. And people have been trying to figure out how to communicate for millennia. Uh, so we don't see this as revolutionary. Uh, it's evolutionary because it's only natural. Uh, COVID is compressing this. And so I think the first thing we see in businesses is a heightened sense of urgency. Something that might have been an interesting project for next quarter, for next year, is now absolutely needed in some cases for the, the literally for the survival of the business. So our first advice is just jump in. Don't be afraid. We also see that video is a journey. No one gets it right at the beginning. Uh, they learn, they grow, and uh, and we do our best to help them as, as they move along in that journey. 
companies that do well focus on the viewers and the audience just as great companies focus on their customers so should the company start by saying what 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 viewers are we trying to reach what is important to them and how best can we do that quite frankly if they put that first just as they do with their goods and services they will be successful we're also just blown away by how creative and innovative businesses are I think the first thing we saw that, that really reached a crisis was live events. Uh, obviously, everybody started canceling live events in March, as did we. We hold a, a big annual customer event, and we had to cancel that. So there's this, been this incredible pivot to virtual events using live streaming video. What's fascinating about that is that the most advanced companies uh, are not just simply trying to stand up a two- or three-day event as a live streaming event. They're having great success with it, but they're actually taking full advantage of video that broadcasters have had for years. There's something called OTT or over the top. Uh, if you're using Netflix or Hulu, you're using an OTT service. Uh, and companies are now standing up their own versions of, of Netflix and Hulu. And what's really cool about that is you can still have that two or three day live event using live streaming technology like ours. But instead of having people get on a plane and go home, you can maintain that relationship by standing up your own channels and continuing to publish content. We've done that the same with, uh, with our viewers and we're constantly adding new content to our channel. And so it allows companies to maintain an ongoing relationship with viewers that transcends that two or three day event. The Fortune 1000 customers spend one to 3% of revenues on events. So this is really mission critical for them. Yeah, as you think about this and reflecting internally with Brightcove and also with the organizations you're serving, the way you'd say you got to put the, the customer or the viewer uh, first in this means that it's probably not delegated just to the IT department uh, or someone that's about sort of channel implementation. Instead, I, I'm imagining it's a complex set of people that need to be around the table. What, what kind of functional areas or who sits around that table you think that help video be at its best? Well, as, as customers go through their journey, typically they'll pull in marketing because marketing typically owns events anyway, but also there's a key role for HR. For example, uh, some of our customers are using, are establishing their own channels, once again, using our technology to connect with their employees and stakeholders. You know, for example, Wendy's uh, reaches out to 40,000 mobile workers who all work, use mobile devices on food safety during this COVID time. Uh, so it's not just something that's done in marketing. It's something that, that HR definitely plays a role in also as does sales. Uh, companies do need someone who is good at digital marketing. There should be a digital marketing officer and that individual will understand the power of video and the need to have video. What's very cool is you can do this with a very, very small team of people. Uh, two or three people can deliver amazing amounts of content. And it's also a, a very, very exciting job for, for people. Uh, the typical age is under 30 of people who provide this and help with this. And they have incredible creativity and initiative and energy. And it's very exciting to see the impact that they're having on, on companies. 
I love that you're bringing HR into this. And let, let me go back to something that you said, which is a, a refrain that we've had or heard in, in several settings, that COVID-19 on many forms with respect to technology and remote work and so forth is accelerating a trend that was already there. So something that may have been for 2030 is more likely to come, you know, do in 2025 or 2023 as a consequence, or even 2020 as a consequence uh, of the COVID-19 uh, and the implications that it's had for business. So in that, I'd like to break that into a couple of questions. What, one is specifically around talent. Are there enough people that know how to stay up with this accelerating trend in your space around video technologies? And how difficult is it for someone to close the, the talent gap? And then second, are there other things that you have been engaged in that really is something that's brand new? Like, so it's not just about an accelerating existing trend. It's something that you hadn't really had on the roadmap prior to the, uh, to the pandemic. Sure. I, in terms of talent, I wouldn't let people use that as an excuse or a reason to delay uh, getting started. Uh, the technologies have been around for a long time. Our technology has been around for 15 years. Granted, our code base today is very different from what it was then. But there, there's incredible expertise and talent out there that helps make this happen. The key element in this is content. Uh, and the content rests already inside businesses. It's just revealing that content. So a very, very small video production crew can do amazing things. There are also agents, just about every digital marketing agency has great talent that can help people kind of get started, make that jump start as they build out their own team. So I just don't see talent as a restraint. As we work with, with customers and we, you know, we work with artists and musicians too, because they're trying to figure out how to stand up live concerts over video. They don't understand this. Uh, and yet with a, a very, very small production team, they can do amazing things and, and, and punch above their weight. So I, I wouldn't let talent be uh, an excuse. Uh, seek out the content within your enterprise. It's there. You already have it. Uh, ask people who are interested in learning and growing into this. They will raise their hands and jump in. They're not afraid of this. And again, there are great agencies and experts, organizations like us that help with that. We have our own professional services organization that helps companies get started. But what we find is once they get going, there's, there's no turning back. They just take it, it builds and it grows. In terms of new things, um, I think that the most uh, impressive thing that we've seen is the, the profound growth of, of, again, what I called OTT. Uh, over the last year, we've launched three new products, more products than we had in the prior 10 years. And the OTT product is the one, it's called Beacon, that's getting the most attention because everyone is, is following this path of saying, look, we just don't want to do a live event or deal with this one-time issue, we actually want to establish an ongoing relationship. You know, I think of the, the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, it, you know, it was born out of the ashes of 9-11, uh, and it was, uh, the, the whole intent was to introduce new uh, artists, uh, new directors, new writers uh, in film to, uh, to the community. Uh, obviously, that all got shut down at the beginning of the year. They had to cancel that. They partnered with Walmart and IMAX and AT&T 
to do live streaming of, of these films in parking lots of 160 Walmarts across the country. And it's our technology uh, coupled with, with great, great people that are making that possible. So in fact, they're finding that COVID is helping them eliminate barriers, not actually throw up uh, bigger barriers. That's fascinating. Let me maybe dwell then on a question about stickiness here. Uh, I've had you know conversations with several executives that look at trends, even when the trends are very beneficial for their organizations at that moment, and ask themselves, like, should are we over-indexing on what is the the rising tide at the moment? But even if it stays high, it may not be quite as high as it is as it is right now. And how do how do we plan for that? In your sort of space with Bright Cove and, and the video um, uh, streaming business, how do you think about the the scenario after we hopefully have a vaccine and the world goes back into something that's, you know, not just the new normal as we currently know it, but the, the newer, newer, newer normal that will be in, um, in, in two years time or, or ideally even uh, in, in sooner. Is there a worry that any of this sort of push towards these new video products will then retreat? You know, certainly the urgency will subside. Uh, you know, that, that's to be expected. People will go back to, to things that they're more comfortable with. But as I talk to experts and customers and, and partners, they think that there are just life lessons being learned in this that, that where we will not turn back. You know, as I said, live events are now virtual. Uh, it's at least a year before people start feeling comfortable traveling again, even if we find a, a provable uh, vaccine by the end of this year, there's just going to be that long delay. And so companies have to be pragmatic enough to understand that they're going to have to live with this for a while. What will come out of this, uh, for example, for events is hybrid. And what the smart people are telling me is that, yes, there will still be those live events. It's still the best way to, to promote your brand to your most loyal fans. It's still the best way to collaborate. But they will always have live channels established with lots and lots of video content uh, to stand up, to connect. That will that will go beyond the live event. And that's an example of hybrid. I think about uh, one of our customers that you may never have heard of, Freight Waves. They actually are, are the largest producer of content for the, the freight industry. They're kind of like the Bloomberg of freight. And the global freight industry is bigger than the global finance and insurance industry. They had to revert to, uh, to a live event. Their normal in-house event has 2,500 participants, 2,500 people that come to, to the event. Their live event had 92,000 streaming viewers, 92,000. They stood up over 5 million minutes of streaming content over three days. And their CEO has told me, you know, we're never going back. There will be live events, but we have reached so many more people than we ever expected as a result of this, that there will be no turning back for us. Yeah, I've heard a similar refrain uh, with everything on this podcast from a co-working facilities, virtual events to academic conferences and so forth, that the, the reach uh, and even the capacity to reach particular individuals and groups that would normally not be able to attend the live events uh, has been has been very impactful for how organizations think about this. Uh, Jeff, there's another uh, 
clear big trend about the future of work that we think COVID-19 has you know, added a little bit more fuel onto what was already uh, a, a fire that was burning brighter and brighter. And, and that's in sort of gig work uh, or contract uh, labor uh, and engagement in companies. And it strikes me that this video uh, space is one that could connect well with freelance uh, freelance work. Is that something that you see? And is there kind of a class of of, of workers that are out there that are helping to to put Bright Cove's products into new companies or work on on some of the the themes? Yeah, certainly the the rise of of contractors and gig workers is is spiking as people look for talent and. Yeah, all politics is local. All business is local. If if you are in India in Mumbai, you want to work with somebody local in Mumbai to help you with that. And so, yes, those those communities are are very very robust and growing. Uh, typically, it starts when someone locates uh, a local agency to kind of get started, and that agency will typically tap into local freelance and gig worker talent to help through that. And then as as companies experience this, a lot of them say, we're just going to insource this. The, the cost of talent is not that high. And again, one or two people can do the job of, of many more because of, again, because of the power of scale of video. Jeff, I'd love to maybe wrap up this podcast by turning just internally to how you have managed and led Bright Cove uh, during the pandemic? Because we have a lot of, of business leaders that um, are always looking to understand how other people have approached the crisis. And I think as important now that we are uh, soon to be six months uh, or longer uh, after the crisis first hit, like how are you thinking about using the fall ahead uh, with the, you know, the likelihood that there's going to be some second waves and that we're not back to full travel and so forth. What's been sort of your philosophy uh, internally over the last six months? And then as important, like what, what's kind of on your horizon as the big things to uh, accomplish in the next few months ahead? Well, this certainly hit. I think it it, it became a, a reality for us the same time it did for everyone else in late February and early March, uh, when we realized that that this crisis was not going to go away and it was only going to get bigger. And we didn't know what tomorrow would bring. And I'll tell you today, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we did know that we needed to have decision making priorities. How would we handle? problems and issues as they come uh, and hit us in the face because we can't predict what will happen. And so we established three rules by which we would make all of our decisions. Number one, protect our employees. More than anything else, we have to protect the health and safety of our employees. Number two, protect the cash flows of the business. If the cash continues to come in, we can make payroll, we can continue to invest in, in technology. And then number three, don't make a decision in the heat of the moment that will be short-sighted and will ultimately hurt our ability to deliver good, long-term, profitable growth. And so as all of those various crises have, have hit us and issues and surprises, we've gone back to those, those three priorities and they've served us well. And we're just going to keep doing that. You know, certainly we did what everyone else did. We said we must work from home. We had a, a, a global work from home day. Uh, it worked very, very well. We only had one lab in Europe that struggled with that. And it was because of the nature of, of how they test devices that view video. 
Uh, and so we had to come up with a workaround for them. But everyone else was able to, to work from home. We've given stipends to people, kind of an, an open checkbook uh, that allows them to go out and acquire technology or furniture to make it a little bit easier for them to, to work from home. Uh, we are in constant contact. We have weekly video conversations with the global VPs. We have monthly town hall meetings, all, all of course on video with all of our employees, uh, just to maintain a high level of, of, of connection and, and communication. We also are constantly surveying our employees to see how they're feeling and doing. And in fact, back in July, when we made the call, to keep the offices closed through the end of this year, we asked employees how they were feeling about coming back into the office. Uh, what was interesting was they were not as concerned about coming into the office. They felt that there are ways to, to, to maintain some amount of health and safety inside the office. Their big concern was transit. 62% of our employees rely on mass transit. They're in Boston, New York, London, Singapore, Tokyo, major cities in, in you know in, in you know like Sydney and and they rely on mass transit and that was their number one fear and that's why we decided not to reopen our offices even though we felt we could kind of limp along with with a small number of people in the offices. I think for me more than anything else bill is I am blown away by the resilience of our employees by their ability to figure out how to get things done in spite of this, how they're just overcoming challenges every day. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story that really exemplifies it. I was having a, a video chat with our Indian employees recently, and one of them said, I've got to get off the phone. The food truck is here. And he, he jumped off the, the line. And I asked everyone else, what was that all about? And he said, well, in his city, no one is allowed to leave their their uh, their homes. Uh, and so every week, once a week, a big truck comes to each neighborhood loaded down with groceries and people go out and they buy the groceries that they need for the week. And that's that. If you miss that, you're not going to have any groceries for the next week. And there's no complaining, no, no whining about it. They just do it. And, uh, and I, I see that with, with our, our customers, employees too. You know, the, the resilience, the ability to get things done, the creativity of people, I, I think that really is what binds us around the world. Thank you, Jeff, for that. That's a great way for us to end. Jeff Ray is the CEO of Brightcove. We appreciate him coming uh, on the podcast today to talk about uh, where the company is, how it's uh, experienced a dramatic growth in business over the last six months and is poised for even more in the future. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Bill. Stay safe. You too. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Managing the Future of Work podcast. To find out more information about our project on the future of work and for more information on the coronavirus's impact, visit our website at hbs.edu forward slash managing the future of work and sign up for our newsletter.